everyone. In this episode of History Unloaded with Danny and Ashley, we are going to let Danny talk for a change. Do I not talk enough as it is? I don't know. But of course, before we started this podcast, Camila said that that's not possible for me. So we'll see how it goes. But Danny, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the Hunt Volitional Rifle. One of my, I don't know if I guess it's one of my favorite topics. I do really like learning about this. Um, the sources are kind of limited. Um, and I kind of stole it from you because when I started at Cody, I had no idea what this was. And you were talking about this guy that was kind of important to lever actions named Walter Hunt. And I'm like, well, he's not Winchester. So does he really matter? <laughs> I feel like so much of the Winchester story is not Winchester, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Got right. Hunt. Jennings, Smith and Wesson. I, I like that they're one person, Smith and Wesson. You can only talk right. about them as a unit. Um, Henry, and then like there's like Winchester, but like really, let's talk about Bennett. You know, Winchester is not okay. like fine. We used your name, but like fine. Well, whatever. I mean, that's probably downplaying him a little bit too much. But yeah, there's like a solid like 15 years worth of the story. Well, maybe 10 years worth of the story that like doesn't involve him and then the stuff that they're really famous for like is the 73 obviously happens during his lifetime so there's there's key moments in the company but um yeah it, it's there's a lot of players that it gets very well and we'll talk about it today because there's a lot of names to keep track of um but before we get into the you know nitty-gritty of the hunt volitional uh and its successors I almost said predecessors but that wasn't the right word uh, Danny, you came up with a really technical term that I saw during your ASAC presentation on some of the features of the hunt and then the Jennings. And I would just like to put that out there so that, you know, everyone understands the, the full definition and the term that you use. Do you remember? It's going to be something stupid, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I don't even remember it exactly, but it was like to describe the bulbous feature uh, pot belly pot belly that's right that's it that like that build up jenny's like, kind of has like a it's got a little bit of a beer gut beer gut pot belly and like the fact that you said it like a lot it was multiple times it's <laughs> and, to asac of all people yeah so camila the danny's giving like this real serious presentation to the american society of arms collectors which is like the preeminent arms collectors group in the country i say that and probably make a lot of collectors mad um and it's you know it's just your typical like old guy party and i'm in the back and i hear him say pot belly like in, in a very serious and you had an accent like i feel like your west virginia roots came out um you're like the pot belly uh, <laughs> and like from the back i'm just like i'm like on my phone sending emails and i'm like ah! <laughs> <laughs> It was fantastic. But Danny's going to talk now. <laughs> what am I gonna... Great. I'm just going to talk unprompted for 45 minutes on the hunt. Nobody also, said 45 minutes. Danny. Nobody gave you that time slot. I just, um, as, as an aside, I really needed your chat GPT skills that we explored on the last episode when I was doing that transcript, which was trying to take my audio recording and then get that transcribed into like something useful and edited so that we can publish it in ASAC was a pain because I, as we've discovered on this podcast, I like to make up words and people also like to, well, and not people, um, maybe this is true for everybody doing transcription, but 
AI does not like my the way I speak. It just, AI doesn't even know you're real, Danny. <laughs> that's true. It didn't know I was real, so no wonder it doesn't like how I speak. No. Um. All right. So. So. What are we talking about? We are talking, as we said several minutes ago, about the Hunt Volitional <laughs> Rifle. Uh, the Hunt, for those of you wondering what on earth we're going on about, is what Ashley introduced to me, and I think most people that get into this would consider like the genesis of the Winchester rifle. So Winchester, now a household name, or at least quasi, like it's probably one of the most famous gun companies sort of up there as like a well-known brand, even to people that don't know guns. It didn't just emerge out of a vacuum one day as this fully formed, you know, repeating rifle. And so a lot of people that get into guns a little bit will know the Henry then as the predecessor of the Winchester. Well, then the Henry had the predecessor of the Volcanic. The Volcanic had the predecessor of the Jennings and Smith Jennings. And those go back to this guy named Hunt, um, Walter Hunt. And he was an inventor in the early 1800s, 1830s and 40s, um, did lots of things, invented a lot of things. Uh, but for our purposes, he invented one rifle and one cartridge. Um, so unlike John Moses Browning or some of the other famous Horace and Daniel, who actually already referenced and Edwin, Edwin, all these other folks that designed a lot of um, firearms or made that their career. He was just sort of a mechanical inventor that happened to make a gun. I would just like to make it aside that Edwin Wesson was a significant person that no one ever talks about. Just what about Frank? No. Oh, not Frank. Oh, okay, not Frank Wesson, just Edwin Wesson. Just Edwin. Okay. And, uh, and Walter Hunt also invented the safety the, pin. The safety pin. And that one is basically as it was, you know, like the invention has not really changed. Like he invents it and the safety pin is still basically in the form he invented it. That's kind of neat. You say lame. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was cool. How cool like, could safety pins be if people innovated them? I don't know. Maybe maybe we would be doing this podcast from space if people. But thank only... God people modified the ammunition he created. Thank goodness. Um, and really, probably the ammunition is more. I don't know. I don't know if the gun is more important because it gets the process rolling or the ammunition is more important because it's the thing that lasts a little bit longer in his invention. Um, but yeah, they're both they're both pretty vital to this thing it's kind of i say that like they're separate inventions but he sort of he patents them separately but they get invented basically in tandem because one doesn't really go without the other one doesn't work without the other yeah uh just like us just like a perfect <laughs> so who's who's the ammunition and who is the gun that doesn't really work oh yeah um the question that loaded question. Ayo. I don't. We'll let our you, viewers, the listener, can decide who that is. I was in viewers, and then that was going to make Camila bad because I always I don't understand that there's not video to this. Um, I don't know how podcasts work. It's fine. We'll get it eventually. Well, but I think you know, you know, we had talked kind of offline about. <clears throat> excuse me, um, we had talked about the fact that there's kind of this overarching narrative throughout firearms history of things being developed 
before we realize, or like at least the foundations are being laid um, in technology before we even realize it. Um, you know, and, and I mean, a lot of things have come up recently, especially with the the Supreme Court decision that came down last year. But we've even talked about it in podcasts with more simple things like, you know, why American ingenuity is invented overseas, right? Like, you know, everyone's like, oh, the, there's nothing more American than a bolt action, but that's not true. <laughs> Yeah, like, and this is, I guess, one of the reasons that this story is interesting to me. And at some point, I'll actually tell the story. Um, But because the bolt action, you know, there's important American things involved with it. Like the most famous one to Americans or, you know, the Model 70 is the rifleman's rifle, as it's known. Um, There's a lot more influences outside the country on it. And all these or like the American long rifle, you know, that gets its roots from German gunsmiths. Um, and I think one of the reasons this story is like all these firearms inventions tend to be cross borders and have a lot of um, connections. Um, the M1 Grand actually being Canadian, for instance. Um, but the lever action is like the one that I can think of. I'm, I'm sure immediately there will be another. The lever action is the one I can think of that is almost solely invented in the U.S., and only really stays popular in the U.S. You know. Yeah, I think that's we concluded that too. I don't even remember that was a, like early on in our podcasting adventure. But I mean, it was kind of interesting that like it, you know, would we get in trouble by saying American ingenuity was invented overseas? But the lever yeah. action is pretty, pretty close to that. Although, I mean, I think you could. Do you think that there could be an argument made that like the early like um, Lorenzoni because it has a little bit of a lever. Yeah, uh, not the same, but you know right. it does have a lever to it. I I don't think I'm making that argument necessarily, but you know there are components of that. I mean, uh, I call them proto lever actions in my article about this, which if people want, I wrote about this topic extensively for the museum journal. Armax, go subscribe. Ashley is doing for those of you listening because we don't have yours. Uh, <laughs> Ashley is doing a wonderful job modeling a copy of Armax right now, and it looks great because it's a great journal, and you should go subscribe. <laughs> I really, the way you said that sounds like I'm wearing it. Like I made a paper dress out of Danny's article. <laughs> Ashley's paper dress. I made a hat this year by Armax. Um, um, but yeah, yeah like- I mean that seems to be a, a running theme, and I think that the thing that's kind of interesting is I think a lot of people really downplay the intercommunication between countries. Uh, you know, for pretty much all of American history, right. Um, in terms of design, you know, you think just because we don't have telephones that people aren't overseas, you know, the travel's not easy, but, you know, that people aren't, you know, coming overseas or going back to Europe and learning about different things. I mean, Thomas Jefferson, like, lived in France for a while, and that's how he knew about interchangeable parts. Um, but we're not even getting into that nightmare. Eli Whitney, okay, we're not even gonna touch that today, today. Maybe some other time. You know, or the fact that, you know, like the revolution, um, you know, all the parts that came from overseas and the influence of the Charleville musket, um, you know, to the, you know, to the Americans, to the colonists that become the Americans, that becomes the United States of America. But I think people don't grasp that, like, you can communicate. Right. Yeah. With other countries. To use your favorite topic, people are very presentist about this. Um, Danny. Go. Since, since 
now communications instant we imagine it was just too difficult and yet it did take longer and stuff was expensive and stuff was hard to do but it happened like we we constantly see this the guns moved around the ideas moved around um even in small numbers you know we think of this gun like oh there's only one could it really have been seen by somebody like people find out about things there's there's publications there's there's there are ways that this information gets out and this information gets disseminated maybe not at the speed of the internet but then they also don't have you know i don't know there there's this information gets around. I don't know. The one thing, one of the things I talk about in the article, and I'm not sure, I think it's unlikely. It's just really hard to say if Hunt would have known of things like the Lorenzoni uh, or the Cookson, as some of its very, you know makers were called, um, or the Kalthoff or um, the Belton or any of these other early sort of proto um, lever actions and early repeaters. I think certainly he would have known of some. It's just hard to say which because there's enough around. Um, yeah, because there yeah. are. I mean, there's. <clears throat> I I think I did a Flaterman survey of you know by the time of the 1868, there were over there were a, a, over a hundred man, manufacturers, quote unquote. So like a lot of them were individual arms makers, right. but there were over a hundred makers of at least a hundred. You know, it was like a hundred. I stopped counting at a hundred. Right. Um, you know, people that were making some level of repeating technology. Right. So you may and- not have known about one specific one, but you at least knew that you, if you were trying to get into the gun business you knew that people were trying to make repeaters you know that that was right. kind of the the cool repeaters breech loaders um you know those were kind of the you know and and this change in ammunition were kind of the cool the cool kids in the in the 19th century um and and hunt was you know just one person along those lines um i had something else to say but it's escaped me well uh, i had a segue from what you were saying anyway so i'll just go there Okay, go. But, and I think, yeah, whether Hunt knew about all of these or just some of these, I think it's probable he knew about some. Um, and if he didn't, he was talking to people that likely did. Uh, because, yeah, well, I mean, you couldn't be talking. I mean, Colt had already come out with his revolver at that point. So right. even though the Hunt structurally is completely different. Um, you know, you know that it's there. Oh, that was what I was going to talk about. I was also going to take a pot shot at Sam Colt. Oh, classic, classic, classic. <laughs> and the fact that, um, you know, apparently there's, there was a self-rotating revolver in 1680. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, there's, there's a lot of Colt clearly saw other revolvers and the whole ship's wheel thing is just bupkis, but, um, bupkis, bupkis. Translate that chat GPT. Um, I bet they can. I bet they can too. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I think I think it's likely that Hunt knew about some, whether he knew about specifics is hard to say, but all these early ones, they do share a problem in that it's really difficult or it can be difficult to make, essentially they have to assemble all the powder and projectile in the gun. So like the Kalthoff, which is a, a what I would consider a quasi lever action or proto lever action flintlock, it comes out of Denmark um, and actually probably sees military service or is a commonly cited as seeing military service. Um, you spell that, it with a K or a C, Danny? K. Okay. Um, Her pals spelled it with a C. Interesting. I didn't so now notice. when I write things, I write Kaltoff parentheses. Yeah. 
Also um, spelled with a C. I've always, uh, most of the places I see it are, are with a C. And that one. Oh, no, you said K. Wait, now. I'm no, uh, sorry. K. K. You confused me. <laughs> I do that to a lot of people. <laughs> Um, so the Kalthoff with a K gets made in some numbers is used by Denmark, possibly like that's early, maybe as early as there's at least a wheel lock version known. Um, so there's like that one's probably as early as like 1640s, maybe um, often cited as like 1660s. And that has a a the trigger guard is kind of a lever to open the breach. And you have to use sort of gravity, like tip it forward at the right time and tip it back to like get everything in sequence. But it it has all the parts self-contained so that you don't have to reload from the muzzle. You can work this lever, work it back, and you're ready to fire again, um, which is maybe a little bit clunky by like modern Winchester lever action standards, but it's pretty remarkable. The Lorenzoni is not long after that. The lever moves to the side. We have a Cookson in our collection, which is a Lorenzoni gun made by, very confusingly, there's a British Cookson and an American Cookson, and they're related, and they both made the same guns. Or were they the same person? There's a maybe. Ooh, this is back to that like, like your Maxim conspiracy, conspiracy of... corner. Yeah, yeah. We just said the same thing, didn't we? We did. We did. <laughs> Cookson is actually just a immortal <laughs> who then appeared later as Hiram Maxim <laughs> and that British guy. I was literally going to say that exact. Okay, we've been doing this too long. Too long. We've known each other too long. Um, so, if you're not familiar with what we just said, listen to oh, one of our episodes. Yes. I don't know which one, but we uh, talked about. I don't this. know either. Yeah. We talk about the conspiracy that Hiram Maxim was actually this like estranged British guy from Hiram who, like, Stevens Maxim, right? Not Percy. Yeah, not Percy. Which is also confusing because there's a anyways. Um, so there's the Cookson's. That's another really well known one. Um. There's a there's a few others. And then for all of these things, there's the Lorenzoni, of course, which isn't really a lever action, but it's a repeater. Um, and I think what people don't realize Magazine is like, oh, here's repeated. one of these made in a collection over here, or there's 10 of these made here. Like that might be the sort of person that brings it to light, but then it gets copied like all the time. So we have a gun in the collection called, um, it's signed Dortlow. And we believe it's a German gunsmith and it's dated 1683. Um, and it's a copy of as, as best as I can determine now looking at it, um, it's really probably a copy of the Kalthoff. Like that is a Kalthoff. That's how the, it works. Like the Kalthoff does. It's a little bit different, but it's, you know, he clearly saw one of those and made it probably made some others for his customers. If enough of them, you know, we got one in the, in the U S somehow. Um, this is just reminding me that like, or not reminding me, but making me think that Danny, maybe we should do like a mini season where we take like modern, inventions quote unquote right. and trace them you know so like you could do like the history of the safety and like the right. dog locks and the early like pan covers and all of that and you could do the history of magazines and the history right. of uh revolvers that'd be kind of cool camila write that down <laughs> <laughs> the look she just gave you um, she just got a pen out she's got this we write lots of stuff down just for everyone's edification and, and then we, we almost it. always lose it and we always lose it because we don't we write it down on paper and, and then we throw it out um all right so let's is, get to, i feel like we should get to the hunt yeah we should and we're going to skip a lot of history I, the main point in bringing all those up was that though all those early repeaters struggle with are wrestling with the idea of how to assemble loose powder and loose ammunition 
uh, there's a few early cartridges um like there's like some iron chambers and stuff like that um and this is ignoring like all the revolvers that we know existed you know before this time period and all the just sort of volley gun and like tap lock guns and all these other things that were multi-shot guns there's a ton of different ways that people try and solve this problem of getting more than one shot out of a gun but just looking at like lever action repeaters um the really like the lorenzoni and kalthoff are the two best sort of examples ahead of when hunt's working there's also the question of can you call the colt patterson ring lever rifle a lever action rifle because it uses a ring lever to action to move the cylinder around we'll jump over that too um because got to get Is somewhere it in today. your article danny can they find it if they subscribe it, to the they can find it in the article if they subscribe um excellent job demonstrating to our viewers um <laughs> So we get to the hunt and the hunt, what Walter Hunt does is he tackles it. He finally tackles this problem because in the early 1800s, people are starting to um, develop self-contained ammunition of some type. Uh, and it has its fits and starts, but Hunt's solution is to make what is now called the rocket ball. Um, did he call it rocket ball? I think he did. I said, I said now called, I think he called it the rocket ball. And I should know that off the top of my head. Cause I sound like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but so Hunt's rocket ball, which is, I think if we we're going to like very modern classify it. How would he know what a rocket was? They had rockets by then. That's true. Yeah. Rockets red glare. Come on. Oh. <laughs> uh, Congreve. <laughs> What's that? Congreve was the British guy that's famous for rockets. Okay. I'm done. I was thinking like jetpacks. <laughs> <laughs> um so hunt comes up with the rocket ball which is powder and like basically a conical bullet with a hollow base that is gunpowder stuffed into and it usually has a uh, a cork base with a flash hole so powder and projectile are contained within one piece uh, which is a big step forward the priming is still done outside the so-called cartridge but um Priming is easier to solve in those early mechanical systems than the getting the powder and projectile together. So he does that, and then he builds a firearm that can shoot this new type of ammunition, which is the Hunt Repeater. It is a tubular magazine-fed um, repeater. The patent for it says 12 shots, um, more or less. Uh, so I think he just ended on 12 because that's the size of the gun they built. Um, in his vision for it, it could be kind of whatever you like is whatever you were willing to build to scale. Um, but 12 was the original tubular magazine for anybody that cares about such things. Um, it It's a really kind of crude gun. We The CFM has the only surviving example that anybody knows of. It's likely that he didn't make many, you know, he made just a few um, in total. And, um, it, it quickly gets developed into something else. And I'll get that in a minute. But the gun, it's a 54 caliber, um, like I said, tube magazine, uses a sort of ring trigger lever system. So like the ring is the lever and the trigger, which is a little bit weird for modern safety notions. And you have to move the lifter um, to get the rocket balls from the magazine into the chamber separately from the lever, the ring lever. 
Uh, it has a little priming panel on top. It was supposed to use these little, um, I don't know if this is the technical term. I call them uh, pill primers, but they're like, there's like tubular in the percussion era. There's like the regular percussion caps we know, but there's also like these um, capsule primers or tube primers that are um, same material, just a different shape to accommodate different firearms. So uses some of those in a priming reservoir. And as you work the system, it, you know, loads and chambers around and sticks a primer in that flash hole for um, the base of the rocket ball. And then very interestingly, this part of the design doesn't survive. So what really designs or survives from Hunt's design to later guns is the tube magazine. But one really cool feature of the Hunt that is, I don't want to get too sidetracked on, but it's striker fired. It's like one of the first striker fired um, guns. It has an internal striker, um, looks like, very, very similar to modern ones. Um, and I think it'd be accurate to call it a striker fired gun, um, which people, again, that's not something, you know, people think of that as a Glock thing and it's, it's really not. Um, so yeah, that's, the <laughs> sorry, <laughs> a Glock thing. Who's that? Sorry. I don't mean to laugh at everybody that thinks it's a Glock thing, but you know, it's like a, it's a hunt thing. There's that Lindner patent, but it's also like a John Moses Browning thing too. Yeah. And I think, I guess I, I say that because that's, what's made it popular, right? Like there were striker fired guns around that just weren't super common until Glock made them popular. Um, yeah. It's like when the ATF tried to argue that when they made their definitions <laughs> for guns in the sixties, that there weren't striker fired guns. And right. It's like just on the face they, of like the government, like, had striker fire guns that they like like <laughs> <Yes>. commissioned <laughs> you know <laughs> well before that somebody doing really bad job of research and not catching something i mean why people should call us yeah that's why you should call us or that there weren't split receivers before the ar like just ludicrous anyways um so that's the hunt hunt has this idea and he really quickly gets connected with a guy named Aerosmith and another guy named Jennings. Aerosmith <laughs> seems to be the business end. Did Jennings he walk is this like, way? Yes. He walked this way to George Aerosmith and got some money. And I think I think Hunt, by any reasonable assumption, probably knew his design needed some work. Like it wasn't fully formed. Um and he was very quickly working with a guy named Jennings. And the reason I say that is because normally it's portrayed that um, like Hunt worked on this for a couple of years and then Jennings come in. And I think, I think they were actually almost immediately working together um, because there's a British patent filed for what is clearly a Jennings rifle at the same time that hunt is filing his patents in the States. So like they all hit, they hit send on all their paperwork for all their patents at this, basically the same time, the British one actually gets approved first. Uh, so if you're going purely off of patent dates, the Jennings predates the hunt. Um, but so I think they're working in tandem. The Jennings improves the hunt design a bit. It kind of um, streamlines it. It takes out the separate lifter so that you can, um, work the gun um, without having to move the lifter separately. It still uses the rocket ball ammunition. It still has a separate priming uh, reservoir. And the Jennings seems to be the one that Aerosmith is like going to try and market. Um, and it gets into 
Um, some testing that Jennings is made to be a repeater. So it's made to like work the lever, load and chamber the next round and fire uh, in the initial version. That one has some problems. Um, I can't find very many surviving examples of the repeater. That one allegedly goes to a test with the U.S. military. Um, and it also gets tested by uh, this uh, a Hungarian guy who I'm going to butcher his name, but it's spelled K-O-S-S-U-T-H, I think, Kossuth, Kossuth, I don't know. Um, but he's like a Hungarian national uh, that's sort of this viewed as like a freedom fighter, patriot kind of guy. And he travels the U.S. pretty extensively, and he's very famous in the U.S. Like at the time, a lot of people are taking interest in in his cause, and so he travels. Um, it's he's widely reported on in the states, um, and he travels. And because it's because he's pretty famous that we know the Jennings gets tested because it's like it's reported that he's out testing because he wants to bring some arms back to his cause effectively. Um, so he tests the Jennings at one point. Um, but there's also a lot of problems with the repeater. The the mechanism to get rounds from the magazine to the chambers is finicky. And so they also develop a Jennings reach loader, a single shot. So they actually have something to sell, something more reliable. Um, and then that one has enough issues that they just start selling them as muzzle loaders, which is not a great sign for the quality of the technology, but um, they're trying to keep the company afloat. And then, because of all these troubles, Aerosmith manages to sell his invested interest in this to a guy named Palmer, Cortland Palmer, who is another businessman. It's never really clear if he's like, if Aerosmith is like, oh, yeah, this is a great idea. I'm just, you know, I'm going on to other things. Or if it's like, you know, if he's, if he's offloading this, if Cortland Palmer thinks he's he can get this cheap because Aerosmith had trouble, nothing's really clear. Palmer takes it on. And when Palmer takes it on, he's like, we got to make some money. Uh, we can't just making keep making these by ones and twos. And I'm skipping a ton of detail for the sake of time. But um, if you get the IMAX, you can learn all yeah, about yeah. it. Palmer, um, they start producing these through Robbins and Lawrence. And Robbins and Lawrence is a fascinating company in their own right because they're basically a do-it-all kind of manufacturing business where they contract with the government. They will let you, if you have an idea for a gun, you can build it on their tooling and machinery. Um give a lot of these inventors a, a place to, you know, the machine tooling to go into production is, is one of the, you can have an idea, but then making it producible is, is another whole step. And Robbins and Lawrence offers that at the time. So they start making the guns and Palmer then sends uh, a guy named Horace Smith uh, to oversee production uh, at Robbins and Lawrence. And that where is where the gun really starts to become what we would think of as a lever action in the Smith Jennings. Because Jennings and Hunt both kind of and Aerosmith all sort of washed they they all leave the picture um, about the time that Palmer takes over, it seems. And then Smith is the one that really takes the design further from these initial kind of finicky doesn't quite work stages into something we can make and sell. Yeah. See, I like I'm, Danny's speak, Camila. See, she did. I didn't totally answer my emails in the middle of that or nothing. <laughs> Such a good listener. <laughs> it reminds me of I, the first, uh, well, it was a second expert witness 
case I worked on uh, in my career, which was uh, for the Canadian government in a murder trial. And the guy used a 1917 revolver with a cartridge from 1945 and a cartridge from 1917, as one does in Canada. And I wrote all of that history in this expert report. Uh, And it just was so silly because it was like, why does anyone care? In this murder trial about the nuanced evolution of the Winchester. I mean, if they ask for it, give it, give it what they asked for. I don't know. I did. I was like, I said the whole way through, I don't know why you guys are asking me this. But here you go. Because Cortland Palmer made the cut and everything. Man, you really went went for it. And I think, you know, there's basically the, the, the gist of the story is that Hunt... Like the the original design, I think you could say not much comes of it. What's interesting to me is that this thing should have like, it should have been a dead end at some point. There's too many, because I think between the hunt and like the last Smith Jennings, I would count eight separate variations of the design. So there's like, there's the hunt, there's a repeating Smith, a repeating Jennings, a breech loading Jennings, a muzzle loading Jennings. There's breech loaders converted to muzzle loading. Then there's a Smith Jennings first, second, and third model. That's where the pot belly. That's that's the one that has the beer gut. Pot belly. Um, <clears throat> and in those, like, they only ever sell probably in total a thousand, fifteen hundred, somewhere in there of all the types. And so it's like that's it's a lot of work for not a lot of return on investment. The guns do make it out there because there's there's people using them because there's like outside the factory conversions and stuff like that. So they. They are getting used. Um, And I think the important part that kind of continues on is this idea that the tubular magazine um, that originates with Hunt, the sort of self-contained, like we can move a cartridge to the chamber. That's from Hunt. The striker wasn't the very first striker fired gun, um, but that doesn't survive. Um, There is a Winchester 66 with a striker in it as a prototype, but that didn't go anywhere. Um, and yeah, and that's what, like the lifter and tube is what really goes forward. And that's what makes like the Winchester outside of the toggle action, like having a two mag with what would become Smith's toggle action is what makes a Winchester a Winchester. Well, and you know, one of the kind of neat fun facts off to the side of it is that the, I mean, obviously the these things really inspired Oliver Winchester um, in in terms of the development of the Winchester lever action, but it also inspired the Winchester arms collection uh, because yes, because in 1871, and I actually have your article up because I didn't remember what year it was, but Winchester actually asked for um, a Jennings that we have in the collection um for his personal collection and i can read it it says i can read it thanks to danny because it's in cursive and i can read cursive but not quickly but danny transcribed it uh the jennings gun came to hand this morning and it is a sorry and it is a connecting link in the history of our gun i should like to keep it in my collection which implies that there was a collection already i think and for this reason, we'll accept your proposition and give you one of our best sporting guns for it, uh, which is interesting because that's 71. So it's early in Winchester history and he's considering his firearms to, 
to be sporting guns. And maybe he's just being realistic because nobody, nobody wanted his 66 is a military gun, except for the Turks. And we won't get into dance conspiracy corner on that one. Um, one of our best sporting guns for it. And then it's dot, 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 because apparently Danny didn't want to translate anymore. If you have a few of the balls you used in that gun, I should be pleased to have them. Yeah, that's a really great letter because there's so much to unpack. One, one Winchester was intent on marketing sporting guns. Um, two, he had some idea of his own, like, of what brought his company to be. Like, he had an interest. I think Winchester always gets, often gets portrayed as like this really uninterested guy and i just don't think that's the case like he well, yeah because there's we have things that are patented to him right he collection. has patents he has a collection that he mentions like um and he hasn't he cares enough to like go and seek out his own company's history and he's only like 15 years down the line this is not that old you know the jennings that we have was probably made in like 51 or 52 so it's maybe 20 years um down the line um but he has this idea of where the what like what enabled his company. Um so yeah, to me it's 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 really interesting for a lot of reasons. Uh, and that letter is really important. And then of course we know that his collection becomes the company's collection. So we trace our collection back to that letter. And he at least had it by then. So it implies he had had it probably for a few years at that point. Um yeah, and you know, there's this we talked about sort of the first half of the chain. There's the chain where Smith working for Palmer improves it to the Smith Jennings, but that one's still a little bit finicky. And so Palmer gets out and Smith, um, who has probably met Daniel Wesson at Robbins Lawrence, they take the idea themselves and develop it into the volcanic. And that's where you get that true toggle link system still using, you know, you know, another development of Hunt's ammunition and the ammunition is a little bit the downfall. The awkwardness of the pistols is a little bit the downfall of that endeavor, but they make a lot more volcanics than they do of the Jennings. And then, you know, Henry and when Winchester buys that idea out, brings on Henry and then really gets the gun that most people think of as the predecessor to the Winchester, which is true, but not the full story. No, that's like the, the Henry to Winchester story is like what you summarize in like high school history, right? Right. <laughs> right. It's the really quick, tight, Tell it in 30 minutes or less story. Yeah, and you know, that might get a reference in like a Civil War class in high school or college. Like, hey, the Henry was a really famous repeater in the Civil War and it became the Winchester eventually. And like, that's it. Just like the Sharps is a really famous repeater. Yeah, just like the Sharps. <laughs> oh, what a, that what a man will never live that down, at least in my mind. How you can't forgive that. Somebody that claims to be a Civil War person that doesn't know the Sharps is a single shot is... It's it's truly, it's truly unreal. <laughs> I mean, I say some stupid shit. But... And I'm not, I, I don't want to be doing this just for being pedantic sake. But the thing we're referencing is like, it's not just like somebody came in the museum one day and was like, oh, do you have one of those sharps repeaters? Like, hey, you don't, you know, uh, maybe you're just learning about fire. I'm sure. Like, let me show you some of the guns of the area and why that's not true. But this is like somebody claiming to be a, a civil war expert. Yeah, and, and an expert on repeating firearms technology. And an expert on repeating firearms. But, um, but we digress. We digress. Look, Danny, we did an episode that was technically focused. Technically focused on guns, and I managed to ramble for I guess, yeah, I said technically, but I meant like technologically. 
<laughs> I guess it works. <laughs> we are pedantic very often. <laughs> well, thank you, Danny, for sharing a brief look into the early history of Winchester. And, you know, could, we could continue to share that maybe Americans developed one thing for themselves. <laughs> the lever action. I think you could call... I think you could call the lever action as like probably the quintessential American firearm. It does yeah. see service. It does see use overseas, but it's developed here. It's most popular here. It's never super popular in Europe or other places. It gets sold in South America and Europe, but like the demand's always over here for it. So I'm going to call yeah. that the quintessential American gun. American gun. That'll be my hot take for the episode. I like that. Like Winchester though, thinks their model 70 is. Yeah, I, I maybe that's I feel like that's something that like later collectors put on like Winchester would just wanted a nice bolt action and everybody's like, it's the greatest bolt action. Ever. And you're like, I, we were just on the gun, man. <laughs> well, Winchester, I feel like probably like resented their lever action, you know, as they got involved in like machine guns and all kinds of, you know, anti-tank rifle design from World War One. They were probably like, oh, my God, this again. <laughs> like, I get don't know. Over I think it. they were kind of into it because they were always like some pushback in the company. Like, oh, we, we're a lever action company. Like, even into like the early twenties, like there's still some pushback that we make lever actions, not bolt actions. Like, that's what we do. Living on a legacy until they went bankrupt in 1931. And then Olin's like, no, you're going to make bolt actions. <laughs> and Olin's like, we're going to make a lot of ammo. <laughs> we're going to make a lot of ammo. Hear me what... out. Hear me out. The ammo is going to be. <laughs> that's always what made your predecessor the money. So that's what we're making. And and today, Winchester ammunition is Olin. Ta-da. Ta-da. That was that. Was, see, that we took that from the beginning to the end, didn't we? I'll count it. I'll allow it, counselor. I'm learning legal words now. Yeah. So any further questions, comments, concerns? Crises about the hunt. Crises about the hunt. Uh, no, but I think that you should add a safety pin next to the hunt. In I probably should actually. Pin. That's a good that idea. That should be kind of cool. It's almost like you curate things. Mm, not anymore. I'm just the devil now. <laughs> you have curatorial skill. I've job trying. I work on museums still, like a lot of them. Yeah, you're still working. Like, yeah, you don't get to say not anymore. You're still working on it. I know it's kind of still like my number one client base, but people wouldn't assume that anymore about me. Anyway, I will go for you. I will put a safety pin by the hunt. You should just like not even like, okay, well, two things. One, I kind of want you to just stick it on like the ground, like the base of the case. Or two, I want you to take a photo of the, oh my God, I, Jordan? Yes. Oh, Okay. Sorry, my brain just shut off there. Uh, I want you to take a photo of Jordan's face when you tell him you need a mount for a safety pin. It'll be great. That that next time I come out to Cody, there better be an elaborate mount for a safety pin. We will get 100%. Actually, I do like this idea because I think people would enjoy seeing something that basically hasn't changed since the 1840s, 50s. Oh my God, you know, it'd be a super cool exhibit, but not like an exhibit because it would be a pain in the butt, but just getting like QR codes and like going through strategically uh, the museum and like an invention that like the gun company made or the designer made that's totally unrelated to firearms. 
Um, and then, you know, you can just like QR code the safety pin. Actually, I should just do like we did those labels. So now we're getting way off track. Our listeners are probably uh, like, I thought you guys were wrapping this up. Um, we, what we could do, this would be fun. So we know how we had all those gallery logos. We should do a little sewing machine logo for every firearms inventor that also invented something to do with a sewing machine. And it would be like a dozen of them. I think that that would be fantastic actually get right on that danny and i'll send you my consulting fee for that (laughs) brilliant idea of including the safety pin no like any good 1850s firearms inventor i'm going to just steal it and then we'll sue each other Ah, that's so good all right we're ending on that 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 was perfect danny thank you is one of us saying bye Bye, y'all. Oh, Thanks sorry. for listening. Danny almost killed me. I was taking a sip of my coffee. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>